Hey everybody, welcome back to Podcast of the Galactic Heroes. We're doing uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, episodes 16, 17, and 18. And uh, all standalones today, if I remember right. What are we at, kinda? seven in a row? They're kind of standalone, because some of the stuff comes up later, but... Uh, There's definitely, yeah, some breadcrumbs being laid, especially in that third episode, mm-hmm. it feels yeah, like. Yeah, it's not directly Laughing Man related, but the third episode definitely has some background stuff being set up, which will come yeah. into part in season two, so... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, all, well, all of them are pretty much about different characters. The first one's about Bato, so let's just get into that one. Uh, yeah, I really like this episode. Good Bato episode. <laughs> yeah, and goodbye, not, baby. Not good episode. for him, but uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Bato's very bad. No good. Terrible day. Yeah, uh, this episode sixteen starts up with the Tachikomas. They're all like taped up. Um, and they're singing a song about a pretty girl with red shoes that are being that's being taken away by a foreign man, and they're kind of being let out of their like pen area to the like out of the facility they're in. Yeah, they got like tape oh, on their guns God. that says caution. Yeah, they get stickers on them. Yeah, so Bato comes up to them and asks them, like, do you know what that song's about? Like, he's really serious. And they're like, oh, you know, silly Bato, we of course know what it's about. It's about resettlement and the girls being left in the care of a priest. It's not about that. Um, <laughs> They're very cheerful, and they're like, we're going back to the lab. It's going to be great. And uh, he is very somber and, uh, well, disappointed. Um, as a note here, this was originally the song Donna Donna, which was a song about a calf being led to the market to slaughter, but they couldn't get the rights for the DVD, so they just made something up. But <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it says Weird. Donna Donna on the uh, like the episode title cut-in. Yeah. Like, it has a little text that explains the start of the episode, and it says Donna Donna on it. Yeah, it makes more mm. it, that makes more sense with that song. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Anyway, this episode is a standalone episode. It's called AG2O, which is silver oxide. If you're not in the chemistry, and who um, would be? Oh, I know. Weirdos. Yeah. That's it. Only weirdos like chemistry. It's a it's a good title, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the uh, the assistant droids that are around Section Nine uh, goes into Chief Aramaki's office, and they find Bot. She finds Bato just sitting in the chief's chair with his feet on the desk, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> apparently, his next mission he has to go undercover and do some work, and so the droid gives him the paperwork. He has to make contact with a su- suspected spy named Pavlo Zaitsev. That's a bit of culture mishmashing, but okay. Yeah. Um, basically, this guy apparently is stealing secrets and selling them to someone. So Bato has to figure out who that is and arrest both of them if he can. Uh, the chief is not in his office because the chief is at a counter-terrorist conference in England, which is the next episode. So. We will never learn anything about that. Yeah. So we got to uh, Bato. He's with Togusa, like, out on the outside of, like, the shipping base or the naval base or whatever he's going undercover in. And Togusa's, like, staring at him. He's wondering if he's okay because Bato's looking very serious and sad. Bato's and, uh, just angry this whole episode, and he looks at Yeah. Uh, he asks if Bato's okay with the touches being sent back to the lab, and he, Bato like the flex and says like, "Oh, it's not that." And Bato comes out like, "Yeah, I was a fan of Zaitsev," and like we see a shot of the little monitor iPad thing they have that shows that Zaitsev was a former boxer in the Paralympics. Um, you know which Paralympics it was. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Bato makes a joke about like, "Make sure my car gets back," and Toka says like, "I'm not going to drive this crazy thing around," but. We see a military base. There's a bunch of like U.S. aircraft carriers and stuff. Um, there's a gym, and Zaitsev is uh, training a bunch of like recruits around him in boxing. Like he's yelling at them, you know, keep your hands up, all you know that sort of stuff. Looks like military fight club, basically, just a bunch of dudes milling about yeah. with one guy punching another guy. I mean, more or less, yeah. <coughs> um, 
one of the students starts getting real cocky, saying, like, I don't know why you're teaching us this. It'll never work. I don't know why you would ever say this to an Olympic athlete, but... Right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you? What does this guy know about it? What does this guy know shit about fuck? And then it's... Yeah. He only got yeah. a silver medal at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Zaitsev's like, okay, come on, try to punch me. So everybody uh, starts watching, including Batu, who's kind of in the back. Um, they start sparring. The guy goes in for like a double leg takedown and immediately gets a knee in the face and the KO'd. And uh, Zaitsev's like, come on, you pussies. None of you can do it and starts egging the group on. So Bato steps up. Um, he says, he starts like in his cover. He's like, yeah, I heard there were rumors of you being around here. I was going to skip this practice, but you know, this could be good. So they start sparring. Uh, this animation is ridiculously good. Like, I don't know if they rotoscoped this or like used references, but like it looks really nice here. Every punch like that hits his arm, kind of like you see it sort of shiver through the flesh there. It, yeah. It's also like actual boxing like they yes. didn't just make up the punching like this proper looks straight legit. to hooks yeah, yeah. so uh, bato starts pressing him and the guy um gets kind of backed into the corner but he eventually cross counters bato and just knocks him straight out um we see a shot of bato like from his perspective his eyes have to reboot after he gets punched <laughs> <laughs> knock me down so hard i got a windows update <laughs> i was gonna say yeah you get you just see Bato stand back up and it's like the windows 98 startup sound <laughs> it's like oh i'm back all right wowie <laughs> Bato goes to speak but his eyes make the sound because the drivers for the sound car get all fucked up anyway yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Zaitsev says, like, oh, that was just the prosthetic blind spot I hit you in, you know, and they have, like, a good laugh over it because Bato is still impressed at him. And so he's like, hey, you know, come back to my place later. I'll train you in some stuff. I'll teach you about the prosthetic blind spot. Yeah. Uh, so we cut over to Zaitsev's house. It's, like, actually a nice suburban house. Um, Bato's, like, in his den looking at the medals he has. He has a bunch of gold medals, but only one silver one, and it's for the Paralympics of 2020. Oops. <laughs> Yeah. Fun times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bato's like, it was a real shock when you lost that. Everybody thought you were favored to win. And he's like, yeah, that single loss screwed up my life. I got no more sponsorships. Everybody left me. It was really shitty. Basically completely ruined everything forever. Yeah, and Bato's like, I watched a lot of your matches. Like, it's the only one where you didn't use the blind spot. Why didn't you use it then? Uh, but as he's about to answer, um, Zaitsev's wife comes in and interrupts them. Um, she brings like a charcuterie plate or something. And Zaitsev, like, starts complaining about it, saying, like, well, you could bring more expensive stuff. You know, we have guests. And uh, she's like, well, it's the thought that counts. And Bato's like, it really doesn't matter, dude. I, I will drink literally yeah. anything, buddy. Yeah. And, yeah, she she was talking about the drink, which, like, why she thought it was better to offer will be very clear soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Zaitsev's, like, kind of weird about this. Like, he doesn't want to drink that drink. So he's like, let's go out and get drinks instead. But um, he's interrupted by a phone call, so he excuses himself and goes and takes it. The wife apologizes um, to him about the drink or whatever and then says, like, you know, he's in a good mood. You know, he hasn't been around any friends in a while. And uh, you should really try the Madhuva? Madhova? I, I it feels like Madhova. It's, it's, uh, it's like a honey-based Yeah, it's like drink. mead but less. Yeah. Like sweet, yeah. <laughs> mead but less, um, though. She says it's like a family drink and Bato tries something. He says it's really sweet. Um, she asks if he's married and he says yes and he has a son. Um, that's his cover, of course. Uh, yes. so specifically, it, it, it is a drink that the family makes to offer people. So it's like very much a cultural, like, here's the thing we make here. This mm. is our family's thing. Enjoy. As opposed to like just busting out the most expensive liquor, which is very shallow in comparison. Yes. Right? 
Yeah, so Zaitsev comes back and says, that, like, listen, something came up. We'll have to have that drink another time. So Bato goes to leave, and of course, we get an ominous shot of Zaitsev watching from the upstairs window. Kind of comical. And Bato walks down the block like one house and then just stands there ominously, which definitely <laughs> wouldn't be noticed. <laughs> um, so we cut back to Zaitsev. He's upstairs, and the guy on the phone is telling Zaitsev, like, I'm going to send you the next instructions. And it's, again, very ominous spy stuff. Back at the army base in the gym, Zaitsev is doing some computer things. Like he's putting a bunch of software onto this like radio handset he has, and he puts. He's that in literally his back got pocket. an office outside, like satellite to the gym. Yeah, it's really weird. Like the gym, and then like his office is in the back, but the office looks really nice. I don't yeah. know how he pulled that yeah, off. Yeah, it has but... like four monitors and shit on his setup. I was going to say, yeah, he's got like full curved 8K monitor across like six desks. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, so another gym guy asks if Bato... So, oh, sorry, Zaitsev leaves his office and asks another gym guy if Bato's a regular here. Um, the other guy doesn't really know anything. He starts like speculating, Bato may have shown up yesterday with those other guys or something. Uh, Bato actually shows up here and is like, hey, dude, you want to spar? But he says no, he has to go out to lunch. And Bato thinks it's weird that he'd go out to lunch with uh, signed boxing gloves. That is a bit strange. Also, like, it's pretty funny because they're talking about Bato and then Bato's just like, hey, I'm right here. And he's like standing to their left, not behind anything. Yeah, like shadow boxing, which is kind of loud. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we cut to Zaitsev like in a different room on the military base. There's like a whole bunch of sec. There's like a secretary there. And he starts talking with her and gives her the boxing gloves as like some gift or whatever. And this is very obviously he's social engineering his way into this office. Um, he starts snooping on her PC while she's making coffee using that little handset thing he had from before. Yeah, they're Meanwhile, having like a nice conversation about, I'll use the course grinder and do this and that. And he's plugging his USB into her computer. Yeah. Uh, we get a match cut, which is nice, of Bato doing the same thing in his office. And he notices, like, this is a lot of expensive computer equipment. You have a dummy barrier. That's weird. It's really good, too. Like, the, this is a super aggressive match cut where you actually don't know which computer screen is which. Yeah. Um, Zaitsev is like at the secretary's office watching like him download files and as he's downloading files he gets an alert that someone's on his PC so he goes and pauses the upload and then leaves the secretary behind and she's kind of confused um, yeah she walks out with two coffee cups and he's like well gotta go I'm being spied on <laughs> yeah like he's like I'm getting back hacked and then what he does is he's just like I'm going to delay it. I'm going to make it seem like instead of taking two minutes, it's taking 10 minutes. And then I'm going to walk eight minutes back home and beat the shit out of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. That's what his plan is. Yeah. So it's funny because as he leaves, there's a cut over the Bato who starts quipping about, you know, this guy's real careless, leaving the door open. He's taking too long. Um, Zaitsev walks into the gym and starts yelling about who's in his office. And we see a reaction shot of Bato realizing that he fucked up. Uh <laughs> He walks, Zaitsev walks into his office, but no one's there because Bato is up in a vent. Who's uh, in office? I'm in office. Oh, shit. I don't understand how Bato, this like fucking 400 pound, like six foot five guy, gets, is able to get into a vent this quick. But Right. Also, no one noticed him like just shimmying the door and going in. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like he's like, who's in my office? And the door's ajar, but like everybody in the gym just didn't notice it, which is yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. Anyway, in the office, Zaitsev gets a call on, also, like, his... Also, wait, wait, hold up. Have you ever, like, actually, like, messed with ventilation stuff? <laughs> like, like hit it or, like, been in it? It's tremendously loud. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, gosh, you, could, yes. you could drop, 
you you could like actually hear a pin drop in one of those things. It's like one of the few times where that that would be a factual statement. So the idea of Bato um, moving in any way, shape, or form up there <laughs> and not being like, oh, he's up there. Oh, the loudest man is up there. Yeah. There he is. It's, it's always very funny when shows and games use the vents. Imply like that a human could fit into a vent. That, yeah. and that they would be able to move through it quietly. I'm pretty sure we were watching and like that scene ended. I was just like, boom, boom. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> The John McClane problem. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Zaitsev gets a call in his office on the phone, and um, it's a lot of spy speak. Is like, did you send the beans? Yes, they're grinding right now. Use a different coffee maker. That one's dirty. Okay. It's, it's so it's, yeah. funny, too, because it's like very obvious I'm doing a spy type thing. Yeah, I don't know if that's just a bad localization or if it really was that obtuse in the Japanese. but I could totally believe it because it's beautiful. It's just like the babies trying to be robots in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah. Make sure make sure to put the beans... No, don't put the beans through the coffee. To get a different coffee machine. Yeah, no, you and see put, the files I'll, in this I'll, case. They're the beans. No, no, okay. I'll put them... I'll put them in the pot and bring the pot. No, not yeah, the pot. The uh, fresh print. <laughs> the French the fresh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to need to use the AeroPress for these beans. Wait, what's the AeroPress in this metaphor? What? Have metaphor. you ever tried mocha pot? I thought you were cold brewing it in the fridge. What? <laughs> Don't put it on ice yet. <laughs> no, it's yeah. hot coffee, not iced coffee. Oh, God. <laughs> So, yeah, um, the main thing that comes out of this conversation is the guy says, watch out for new faces. So Zaitsev's kind of suspicious. Uh, we got the Bato just walking around on the base. Uh, Zaitsev pulls up in his car and is like, hey, let's go get those drinks we talked about. So they go over to this nice bar. Um, they sit down at a booth and the bartender is like really surprised. Like, oh, you normally don't have a booth. You must have a friend now because you normally sit at the bar or something. And they order a drink and it's Blighton's, which I like because that's a good mm-hmm. whiskey. <laughs> Um, Zaitsev asks about the wife and is like, you gotta have a pick, let's see it, you know, trying to feel out Bato's cover. And Bato's like, well, it really isn't my style. And so Zaitsev, like, very clumsily spills liquor all over the table, you know. This and, whole and, scene, like, the whole, it's not my style is such an awkward deflection. And then Zaitsev deflects even more awkwardly by going like, ooh, ooh, whoops, gonna spill three bottles of whiskey off the, yeah, uh, he's, on the he's table. he spilled like five, ten dollars worth and, of whiskey on this table. Like- Hey, that's expensive shit, dude. What are you doing that for? <laughs> Bato, this whole scene, is kind of, like, really disappointed that this guy is this bad at cover. Yeah. He's like, just disappointed it, in general because he looked up to this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's going through all this and, like, this is your super spy game. It, he's barely even able to keep his own shit together in this thing. Like, it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, so Bato goes up to go get, you know, a rag or something to wipe it all up. And Zaitsev, of course, looks in the Bato's jacket for his wallet. And we see a nice family pic of him with the major as his wife and some random kid they photoshopped <laughs> in. random child you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny picture. He's like, oh, not your style, huh? <laughs> so um, Bato comes back up and Zaitsev gets another phone call. And uh, he's like, I got to go outside. And Bato's like, you know, you're busy. Like someone in intelligence and just stares like dead at the guy. <laughs> Again, Bato is just basically like, you're you're barely bothering with this. I'm barely going to bother with this. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's just like so blatant. I, I, I legitimately broke up laughing when he said this in this scene. When yes. he was like, yep. you're as busy as like an international spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So Zaitsev uh, walks outside to a park nearby and he makes a drop of this disc with some guys that are just standing around. Um, the guy looks at the disc and says like, oh, the data on here is wrong. And Zaitsev's like, well, it must be your bad instructions. And they start arguing. And then Baito interrupts them and calls them all pathetic. Um, the guy's like, you were tailed, but he just ends up shooting the other three men. Yeah, Bato's literally like, this is just sad. Yeah. Uh, Zaitsev's like, oh, you must be with the inspection bureau or something. You must have studied all my past. You really had me fooled. And Bato is just like, he looks like a parent who isn't mad, but just disappointed during this entire scene. He really does. Uh, Again, it's like, you know, he got signed up for this thing about one of his heroes, and the dude isn't even a good spy. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. So he starts asking him, like, was it for the money? And uh, Zaitsev said, like, uh, Bato said, like, you said your life went to hell, but, like, it looks okay to me. And, like, during this scene, like, it flashes back to him having the nice house and having all the people, you know, respect him at the gym, him having a nice wife. And then He's uh, got a life. He's making money. Yeah. So then Bato asks him about the blind spot. And he's like, you never really did talk about the other day. And so he's like, if you can beat me, then I'll let you go. And Zaitsev was like, well, you'll never win. I'm an Olympic boxer, dude. I beat you up the other day. So they start fighting again. This time there's a lot more aggression. Like no one's pulling punches and it's getting more crazy. Like there's backflips and shit like this. Bato does a really sweet backflip here. Yeah. I think at one point he punches Zaitsev like up an embankment into a wall. Yeah. Um, So you can see the setup. Zaitsev goes for like the same cross counter that he did before on Bato. But this time Bato catches it with his hand and then uh, just kind of kicks the shit out of him. And Zaitsev then realizes, like, as he's on the ground getting up, that Bato, Bato totally lost on purpose the other day. And he says yeah, something to the and F- Bato even says, he's like, you just now realize, how rusty are you, dude? Come on. Like, he's just, again, very disappointed in his hero. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. And he <laughs> makes the, the awful line. There's like, the blind spot was in your heart. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or he said he says the blind spot was in my heart. I want it on record. Uh, Bato didn't say that shit. <laughs> <Bato> was <never. laughs> it, was, it was this dork. It wasn't Bato. Bato didn't say that shit. He 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 just kind of looked on like, yeah, man, your wife was cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the police arresting everybody. Um, Bato's like walking down the street and he walks past the bar he was at before, and the wife's sitting outside there. Uh, she asked about his husband, and Bato kind of deflects, saying like he had to go someplace. I was with him, but uh, he had something come up. Yeah. Uh, she gives him the Medovov or whatever that drink was uh, from before and says, like, oh, give this to your wife. Um, we cut to him at Section 9 HQ. He's looking in his locker. The drink is there, plus a whole bunch of, like, protein drinks from before that we've seen him drink. I think and, it was um, also, like, synthetic oil, wasn't it? Yes, it was also synthetic or oil. Or the uh, natural oil. Just sitting in his locker. Yeah, yeah. that he used to give Hitachi Kobas before they all... Got mm. sent away to the farm? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the farm upstate. That's what they told him anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Togusa walks in and he's like, dude, are you okay? You look like death. And he ignores it and picks up all the um, the synth- or the natural oils in that drink and just throws them in the trash really hard and like it breaks and spills everywhere. And then we just see at the end of the episode him just beating the shit out of like a dead man's bag and uh, yeah, just calling Zeitz of a stupid son of a bitch. Bato is not having, a, good having time. a very good day. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm yeah. with him. I'm so sad. Those poor babies. <laughs> this was like the pinnacle never meet your heroes episode. Yes. And I kind of appreciate how hard they went in on like, no, but really. Don't meet them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, whatever you do, do not. <laughs> yeah, the episode 
Uh, so the episode title be calling uh, silver oxide is like tarnished silver, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good, especially because I think a lot of those names were created for the uh, English one, although I could be wrong about that. Hmm. I know that they have much longer names in Japanese, but I don't know if they had the title cards like stand in originally anyway. Um, But anyway, episode 17, which in my notes, I've retitled Aramaki's Day Out for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this episode basically takes place at the same time as the previous one. But now we're over in jolly old England. You know it's England because they show the Tower Bridge and the, the <laughs> and Buckingham Big ben House. And the, the cops and the stupid hats. <laughs> yeah. It's just like England. Sadly, there are nowhere near as many terrible English accents no, as there, there should isn't. have been. I feel that maybe like the English dubbing studio like didn't have anybody who could do a convincing English accent. Sad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Major and Aramaki are in a car talking about the security conference, and it's kind of just small talk type stuff. Uh, Major asks the chief if he wants to do anything, but he says that he's already got plans. He's got to go somewhere to meet up with an old friend who works at a wine fund. Um, He explains the concept where basically rich people will store their... buy wine and use it as a store of value because it's difficult to counterfeit... And it appreciates in value as it gets older. So, like, why keep everything in gold bullion when you can just keep it in wine? Mm, um, it's tastier, too. Exactly. Like, don't ever drink it. <laughs> God, no. no. <laughs> People do this with art already, like, just stored in warehouses. People do it with wine presently, yeah. yeah. This is yes. not, like, this is a real thing, so. Yep. Um, yeah. So he's basically like, yeah, you're at liberty for the next two hours, Major, um, and gets out of the car, and a lady opens up the door. She has no name, and we will refer to her going forward as Lady Bank President, because none of the side characters in this episode have names. Literally none of them. Not important. Oh, yeah, huh? They don't really name the, hmm, yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, again, I was, I was taking, we watched the episode and then I take notes on it afterwards. Uh, we rewatched this scene and I'm like waiting for her to give her name and it just never comes up. So, <laughs> Sometimes in Lady Bank in President's office, uh, she's serving Aramaki some tea. She used to be in Japanese politics and Chief was really surprised when she suddenly quit and moved to England. Um, he also, like, kind of eyes a wedding ring that she's wearing, so, like, there's some very clear, unresolved sexual tension going on in this scene. Um, she basically says, like, the cold open that she gives him is that, hey, so I, could you potentially help me with something? I think that there's some money laundering going on at the bank here, um, and while she's explaining this, the camera cuts over to two guys who are just eyeing up the bank building that they're at. Um, the mafia is using this bank branch to launder some money with the wine. They keep their secret ledger here, but there's also clearly some unknown middleman involved as well. And Lady Bank President wants absolutely nothing to do with all of this. So she's just like, you know, I have to pretend that I don't know that the fucking mafia is here laundering money through me. Could you do anything about it? <clears throat> Um, 
Aramaki says that, hey, it's, England isn't my jurisdiction, and she basically preempts him with a line about how I can't interfere, gotta go by, by pro, like, uh, proper channels and all that. So, like, clearly there's some history going on here. But. Yeah. Aramaki pulls out this line a couple times in the entire series about, like, he can't use his own powers for personal gain. I'm pretty Not sure he says gain, it like, very next episode. Yeah. yeah. Sure does, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough. So, like, clearly she's aware of it as well. Um, but she's like, yeah, I, I figured that would be the answer. But let's let's just start reminiscing instead. Uh, at the door, the two dudes basically bust into the the bank thing, and the weirdly Italian-looking security guard gets knocked out. <laughs> he looks like that uh, guy that Jet always talks to in Cowboy Bebop. The uh... yes. you're right. Yes. He, it's, he has a long hair, like, full mustache, um, yeah. and a cop uniform uh, is what this guy looks like. But he gets knocked out by the two dudes who will, we will call leader and dumbass by the window for reasons yeah, one of them, <laughs> it's One is obviously the brains of the operation. <laughs> the yes, the other guy, like, there. basically gets no lines. He's a bit dumpier looking. Um, I feel like calling either of them the brains of the operation <laughs> is really generous, but... Fair. Yeah. One of them has the brain cell. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically like, you know, lock the doors, close all the window shades, smash into the uh, front, into the teller's office of the bank. They go full hostage situation. Uh, while they're sweeping the building, one of them catches, I think the dumbass by the window, like busts in and pulls a gun on Aramaki and Lady Bank President. Uh, they get tied up while the other guy, leader dude, steals the ledger from them. Uh, these two guys are trying to get out of the mob. They're mafia members. And by stealing all of the mafia's uh, money laundering wine, they're basically going to use that as leverage to kind of buy their way out. I thought they were already out. Uh, they I think they're like trying to make their escape and they're pulling this off to like either get the money to be able to hide from them or whatever. Yeah good idea just piss off both the police and the mafia exactly it's brilliant (laughs) it's foolproof um so they they basically look up all of the mafia wine it's on shelf e5 but when leader guy goes into the wine cellar to grab it e5 isn't there how very strange he goes wine damn every type of wine except the one i want and he throws a wine bottle on the ground Yeah, it was like a 1990 vintage in the year, what, 2030? That's probably worth a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, Not anymore. So we cut to a police captain looking guy who gets a call, and I'm just going to call him captain from here on, because again, no one has a name in this episode, uh, saying a break-in has occurred at one of their branches. You know the one. Uh, The Captain's told, the captain's like, well, that's kind of a situation, huh? But the voice over the phone says, this is probably for the best. If you surround the building, then you can kill everybody inside and clean up the whole mess without any witnesses. Um, And this is where the name Lady Bank President comes from. (laughs) Yes. They're like, the only people in there are a security guard and the Lady Bank President. (laughs) And that's, that's the only name she has. So... Back over at the bank, dumbass at the window is staring at the window, like, kind of pulls the shades open. Is like, shit, the cops got here fast. Aramaki, at this point, like, looks up and realize, like, sees a glint in a higher up window and basically just yells, dumbass at the window. 
Uh, Come over here. Get over here. And then the guy's like, what the fuck did you just say to me as a shotgun or as like a sniper rifle fires through the window and would have basically shot him dead if he had been looking back there. If I remember correctly, he has a very dumb look at his face right here after he tries to get shot. Yes, he's got a whole bunch of dumb looks right in the next few seconds. (laughs) Like, holy shit, the cops just tried to straight up kill me. That's not normal. So... Leader dude busts in and accuses Aramaki of calling the cops, but Aramaki starts going into full chief mode and, like, just explains, look, you guys cut off all contact. We can't catch, reach anyone on our cyber, uh, on our cyber phones or any of the other phones. The only thing that could have contacted the police was the ledger that you pulled the records off of, or, like, the, the computer you pulled the records off of there. Cause uh, yeah. Even if you cut the power. It was still online. Yeah. Uh, that still would have been online. But then Lady Bank President's like, well, that doesn't make sense. It should have gone to a private security company as financial institutions in England don't trust the police, <laughs> which is definitely Praxis. It's I a mean, bit for weird. a different reason. It's not for the reason that they should not trust the police. It's because True. they're probably laundering money. I mean, <laughs> they are bankers. They're bankers. But Aramaki is like, oh, in that case, I think we know who the middlemen are, who, who the go-between we didn't know about who the bank and the mafia are. It's the cops. Yay. <laughs> We've got basically every corrupt uh, insta- thing working together here. It's wonderful. Um, back with the major, she's basically just walking down the street and buys a 60 quid J. Henkel sommelier knife as a gift. Okay. Why not? Um, she probably makes a lot of money. <laughs> true. Probably wasn't uh, breaking the bank too much there. I mean, it seems like, yeah, she probably makes an extraordinary amount of money. And also, what, 95% of her time is at work? Also so, true. Like, yes. She doesn't. She just doesn't yeah, know what to do yeah. with herself except buy a sommelier's knife. She's, she's basically two-income, no-kids family just by herself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the knife is really nice looking, too. Sink. It's got, like, mahogany handle. It's, like, brass furnishings on it it's really cool it's pretty looking. nice looking for sure yeah. she wanders back to the bank uh, to the bank and uh oops all cops uh we cut back inside where aramaki explains that the cops used a silenced sniper rifle to try to kill these guys and dumbass at the window is just making an oh like oh. he's making that pikachu face <laughs> yes surprise yeah. pikachu face <laughs> as he explained specifically aramaki's like you don't use a silencer unless you fully intended to assassinate a person and he's just like wait what yeah <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. this is i like this entire episode because like it shows aramaki despite not being like the action person that everybody else in section nine is like he obviously knows what the fuck he's doing and he's a really amazing leader and so, like, he even somehow gets these two idiots who are trying to rob the mafia police situation, like, on his side just yeah. by basically commanding them to do stuff through sheer, yeah. like, chismatic will. He acts exactly the same as he does around the Section 9 people, and it basically works. Um, so he's basically explaining, and the leader's like, well, the cops wouldn't do that. We've got hostages. But Aramaki's like, they're going to kill all of us, you fucking idiot. Like, keep up. Keep up. <laughs> yeah, he explains the like, cops are in on it. They're in on it. If anyone finds out they're in on it, they're in trouble. Yeah. So they're going to kill all of us Secrets or else they'll find out idiots. they're in on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he basically just starts explaining, look, this is if you look, you guys have a bunch of weapons and shit. I can tell you what to do with them so that you don't fucking die here. And he basically kind of browbeats them into starting to agreeing with them. 
Um, back outside, Major tries to talk to the cops, including the captain who got the phone call before, and he's basically just a huge dick to her, uh, and tells her to fuck off. Uh, she's like, damn, the chief really does cut through red tape for her. She can, she can stroll in on any situation because Aramaki's just like, yeah, let her in. Um, meanwhile, she's half the world away from where she normally is. So I don't know why she would expect to be able to just walk in on an English police operation. Uh, But that's just kind of how she operates. Yeah. Um, so Aramaki's scheming back inside while Major puts out a call to the BBC to get them to show up so that the cops can't just like, I don't know, bomb the place. (laughs) Yeah. When the media's there, it's hard for the cops to do abuses. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This... Citation needed. You would think in 2030, though, everybody would have their cell phones on and the cops just as like a matter of principle, but... You would think, but we weren't quite to that point in history yet when the show came out. Um, So Chief is like looking over a map to try to figure out how they're going to get the fuck out of this building before the cops kill them. He says that the guys, hey, you two had a grenade with you, right? Which is pretty impressive for a bank storming. But they decide to use it to booby trap the door. Uh, outside the cops are basically like, well, shit, the news is here, so I guess we're gonna have to storm the place. Uh, Captain gives this gung-ho, alright, everyone, if they, robbers resist at all, use extreme force with this, but whatever you do, make sure to save the hostages, as the captain like, looks over his shoulder, yeah. (laughs) Roll on him. And then he just mumbles to themselves, but if something unfortunate, unforeseen were to happen, I guess who knows what would happen. And then just laughs like an evil dude as he cocks a submachine gun. <laughs> because, great. Um, we then cut to an alleyway where a dude in riot gear is like, you know, <laughs> doing traffic. Major walks up and she's been wearing like a long coat this whole yeah, time. Yeah, she has a trench coat on the entire time. Yeah, she's, she's had a trench, trench coat. coat the whole episode. And, like, she has opened it up to show, like, a ton of cleavage and leans over to the guy like, hey, I got something I want to discuss with you. And he's like, ma'am, this is a restricted area. And she just sort of, like, leans over a bit more and it's like, no, you need to help me with something. And I don't even know if he's buying it, but he walks over to her and it's just like, what is he it? He totally does because his, cha- his tone changes. Like when he first, she first shows up, he's like, you have to leave. This is restricted. Like, very authoritatively. Yeah. And then like when she shows the cleave and she's like, oh, I guess I could help. Like yeah. that and walks over. Ch- he's such a fuck. <laughs> hubba hubba ding ding. <laughs> and then his eyes pop out of his helmet and turn into hearts. And then he gets fucking uppercut. Yes. <laughs> sure you can dork. <laughs> I love that like she punches him in the gut and just loads him onto her shoulder and just walks off. Yep. It's pretty great. <laughs> Further into the alleyway. So uh, the chief makes the two guys move the Italian security guard down to the basement so that he doesn't get hurt when they get, uh, you know, when the police break in. Chief also tells the robbers that they should save the media ledger, the mafia's ledger that they stole, which they're like, wait, who the hell is this guy? And why does he know so much about, like, covert operations? Um, outside, so we, we get a shot of them drilling a hole through the doorway and sticking a camera through it. And they realize that they've booby-trapped the front door. So they're like, ah, shit, we uh, we can't go in through this way. Well, fuck it. Go in through the apartment complex in the next door. They basically do one of those, like, controlled explosions on the wall that yeah, blows a hole through it. it. Yeah, basically. Um, and into one of the offices where there's just a bunch of wine bottles lying down on, you know, like, lying there on the floor or on the table. 
Um, the captain just like rushes straight in and immediately puts two bullets in the computer uh, thing. <laughs> Oops, my finger it was, slipped. It was very threatening. That computer would have jumped out any second. And like, he's a cop. He's, he's clearly on edge because there's no other I, shots going on. I also love to think that personally. <clears throat> he was trying to get rid of the evidence and like trying to get rid of the files on the ledger and like doesn't understand the cloud, doesn't understand what a hard drive <laughs> yes. is. It's like Zoolander, the files are in the computer. <laughs> like that level of He, he doesn't of even jack-assery. go for the hard drive or anything. Nope, just two bullets straight to the nope, monitor. The monitor, two bullets to the monitor. That's where the data lives. Rip to your fucking Asus. What's the after action <laughs> report on this? Like two shots were fired in here into a computer. Why was that, sir? Uh it was threatening. <laughs> came right, it was coming right for me they I, had a jpeg of a gun on it <laughs> I, I assume he was expecting a lot more violence to be happening around him so what's two more shots because he very clearly starts freaking out and get like starts yelling at the team like well like where are they where is everything what's going on everybody um but everyone is basically like we can't find them just we just find these old wine bottles over here some other cops find Italian security guard in the basement, kind of like slumped over, over a manhole cover. And captain's immediately like, ah, shit, they must have used the sewers to escape. You got, he, got a question. Like, I know this is England and London's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But generally, do houses have manhole covers to the sewers in their basement? Some of them do, actually. Huh. Depending on how old they yeah, are. Yeah, some like yeah. really major structures will have that. Yeah, like I know some college campus buildings I was in had that. I, I oh, think a lot weird. of it is like when your sewers are that old, they did. True. That yeah. was where they had the access points back then. You would probably. I mean, this building probably kept it on like filled in because normally you would just like fill it in so nobody could sneak into your bank <laughs> that way. Yeah. But considering how shady they were, there was probably an escape. Route. It was That's also true, probably yeah. pretty useful. Yes. Um, go have a smoke in the yeah, sewers. <laughs> Smoking in the London sewers. It's better than my day job. <laughs> so the captain kind of moves the body to get it off the to to get into the sewer grate, and you hear like a little click and some ticking starts happening. Um, there's a little package behind the security guard that is suddenly making ticking noises. Oops. He calls for the bomb squad and basically just sits there's like, what the hell are these guys doing? How did they, they planted a fucking bomb on this dude to slow us down? Yeah, these are just some two idiot mafia lackeys. How did they know to do this shit? Yep. It's also the fact that how would they go into the stores and also plant the security guard with a bomb behind them as they left? It's pretty weird what's going on right now. So, uh, meanwhile, the major well, who is... Well, good news, Columbo wasn't on the case. <laughs> they have been fucked. Thank God <laughs> that Columbo wasn't a corrupt wine cop. Um, so, meanwhile, the major in riot gear is walking around here just sort of, like, thinking herself, if I were the chief, how would I escape? Yeah, she's doing her best, like, Leon the Professional impression here. Like, she just stole the cop SWAT gear and is just walking around the place, and no one's questioning her because she yep. looks like she's supposed to be there. They're also all extremely crooked cops, so, of course, they're all just kind of walking around looking for people to shoot. Um, she's sort of walking around the room that they broke into, that the cops broke into, thinking about it. Uh, also, uh, important here, she looks at the wine bottles at the yes, table. Yes, there is a shot of her, yeah. like, just kind of looking over to the wine that doesn't get uh, brought up for a bit. So the bomb squad realizes that it's 
actually just a ticking clock that the chief was holding in an earlier scene. But at this point, it's like, but we can't actually find them. They posted guys at the sewer exits, but they haven't come through like any of them. So the police captain was called the dude. We kind of cut to this other guy who like, I don't think he's shown up at all in this episode up to this point. Uh, we'll call him bank chief for whatever. Um, he's getting really, really agitated because apparently they've just disappeared into thin air. We then get, if we then get a cut into the evening where two policemen in bobby hats and and high-vis gear are standing in front of the bank changing shifts. But it turns out, oops, it was the major. Um, She walks into the bank branch and basically, like, stamps down on the floor where the wall got blown up and realizes there's, like, you know, a hollow thing right there. She lifts it up, and it turns out the secret E5 wine cellar was down there, and everyone just hid out over there. Yeah, there's a shot of her like opening up this ground floor, uh, I don't know, door, and the like the four of them, the two bank or to the two mob. It's like guys. a hatch. Yeah, the two mob yeah. guys. And it's like a hatch that's designed to blend in with the floor, so you do, you only would know if you were told or if like you put that together. Yeah, and yeah. they also like locked themselves in because they mentioned that if the major hadn't come in, like they probably would have starved to death. Like hadn't just figured it out mm-hmm. and. Aramaki's just like, yeah, I knew you'd figure out what I was doing. <laughs> um, at this point, Aramaki is basically like, look, you two, you, you did help us solve this mafioso case. If you just fuck off right now, we won't go arrest you. And they are just like, all right, fuck this. We're out. Um, yeah, Major- it's funny because he says this and then they just like, fuck it, scramble for the door like <laughs> <Yes>. idiots. <laughs> they run straight past the Major who is basically like, you know, they were still criminals, Chief. And he's just like, well, it's out of my jurisdiction, which makes her It's smile. not my problem. <laughs> um, Back with Bank Chief, Aramaki... They were lovable, though. They're like funny little dogs. Yeah. I love them now. <laughs> They're lovable idiots who just did a bank robbery. <laughs> I love dumbass at the window. <laughs> they feel like they, were, they should be in like lock, stock, and smoking barrel or something. Yeah, no, they're the two uh, robbers from um, 101 Dalmatians. Exactly. Like, one was tall and one was a bit dumpy. Yeah, it was those two idiots. I'm just as stupid. So it's perfect. So we go back to Bank Chief, uh, who is like just kind of sitting in his office. He gets a phone call and it's like, did you get them? But it's just his secretary being like, sir, there's a chief Aramaki here to see you. Um, And Aramaki basically just busts into his office and is like, I got your files. You are super fucking busted as this super triumphant music plays behind him. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, even if you went, like, above this dude by several orders to, like, a federal agency to get the corruption charges brought, they wouldn't let this guy from, like, out of town just walk into this dude's office and accuse him like yeah, this. Yeah, random Aramaki. Japanese official. Uh, he, he knows a guy, <laughs> so he got it put through. Someone owed him a favor from back in the day. Yep. So some cyber spooks basically like walk past them to arrest bank chief as major and Aramaki turn around and go. And I, that I believe in your culture, they say in vino veritas, which means the truth is in the wine gentlemen, which just totally ruins his sweet, (laughs) sweet line. Thanks bud. He's living it up. He doesn't get too many moments. It's true. Yes. He doesn't get to be the one doing the arrest every so very often. 
outside the building, Lady Bank President is waiting for him. She thanks him for his help and is like, I'm so sorry I got you involved in all this. But he's just like, hey, look, it was just a total accident that we got held hostage. It's fine. Um, he says he's got to be going. Give my regards to your husband. At which point she's like, my husband? She like looks down and realizes she's still wearing the ring and is like, Oh, shit, that's a total fake. I just used that to keep the man off me. I, I wasn't going to tell you that, but I just needed to get away from politics when, you know, back in the day. And it is kind of funny that, like, the chief was so in control of the whole situation, but he didn't actually realize that, like, this person that he knew and was clearly kind of into was just wearing this, like, to put off any men who are interested in her. Oops. Well, he doesn't like using his, you know, power for his own purposes. Like he obviously <laughs> exactly. could have people Section 9 shadow her, but... Which, hey, I guess that's good-ish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be kind of awkward to say, like, hey, Bato, uh, go tail this woman. I need to know if she's married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back, he saw a wedding ring. He backed it's off. It's true. Section he did nine, respect women. Section nine wingman shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got a question. Here. Who's the best wingman in section nine? Ooh. <laughs> uh, it's well, not Bato. Bato. Uh, I, I, I think it's Bato. I put my vote for Togasa because he wouldn't steal it. True. Like, he would not be. He would just help you out. He's kind he's of a nerd, married. though. He's a wife guy. So it's true. Uh, Ishikawa would get super creepy Facebook store stalker about it. Yeah, so no he way. Not be good. Actually, pause. We haven't seen his episode yet, but uh, he he would probably be pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. I could see Pause or Saito managing it. Boma would also be a really fun guy. No, Boma would just scare the shit out of him, like some poor guy <laughs> True. in the next episode. They True. don't show Boma too much, but like he kind of has like a goofy demeanor behind the serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess just to finish this off, she's like, couldn't you stay an extra day? And Chief is like, sorry, but I, I can't possibly. I've got so much paperwork waiting for me. And he kind of just you, walks I'm off from her. to my job. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so he gets in the car and Major's just like, I, I could stay here an extra day. You sure you don't want to get laid? And he's just like, uh, or she also, uh, Lady Bank President gives him an expensive bottle of wine as well. Um, and back in the car, Aramaki's like, some relationships need to mature, like fine wine. And it's like, come on, dude. Dude, you're but... going to be dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's hot. Come on. But he, he then goes like, well, you know, customs won't let me take this wine out of the country. Do you, do you want to go back to the hotel room and drink it? And Major's like, oh, what a coincidence. I just happened to buy this bottle opener here. And... Aramaki is just like, that's our major. And then the episode ends with a as they drive away. See Aramaki gets trash face on like one bottle of wine. Yes. Or like a glass of wine. Absolutely. I mean, he weighs what? Like 55 pounds? It's true. He's a tiny boy. Like, he's a small old grandpa. He is an old grandpa, though. And we all know that means you get like some immunity to drinking because you're so experienced in it. Well, I. It depends. I don't think Aramaki's that much of a drinker. Is yeah, the he thing. seems like, like the type of guy who's so uptight he wants to be in control of himself at all points, so he never true. drinks. True. Yeah. I, I feel like he could surprise you. I feel like because <laughs> of that uptightness, he drinks a lot so that he can never be like taken out of control when he drinks. There you go. Mm. It's practice. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, let me move on to episode 18, which is Aramaki's second day out. <laughs> Yeah, we said they're character episodes. They're mostly Aramaki episodes. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, so we open up to some shots of like some police on the streets and there's a plane landing, security all around it. Uh, we cut to section nine and the uh, agency guy who helped them out with the, well, asked them to help with the, got intel from, oh god, it was It's intel. the South China, yeah, the official basically. counterpart from China. Yeah. And he gave them intel on the episode where then the assassin The dude who was clicking his, clipping his cone toenails. Yes, that dude. Uh, he walks in and is like, I'm sorry for the, the, you know, the intrusion, the imprecision. And Aramak is like, oh, no, it's no problem. And there's been death threats uh, for this guy who's coming to our country. So it's our jurisdiction now. And so he asks them to protect the vice foreign minister. Jin. Uh, who's from China, who is visiting Japan. And he's going to see like a memorial and stuff. And a yeah. memorial for war dead. I'm sure we'll never hear anything about this war. Yeah, this is one of these things in this uh, series that like comes up once in this episode, but will come up many times in the rest of the episodes as like a background thing. Um, right. We'll get into more detail when we get there, but yeah. And so he leaves, and Armand, he's like, okay, you guys have to deal with it. I'm going somewhere else. The boss is like, hey, hey, why, why am I in charge? What are you doing? He's like, nope, I'm going to hang out all, all your assignments. But I was like, well, you got something more important to do? Than protect a dignit foreign dignitary from being mm-hmm. assassinated? Where are you going? And uh, so Armaraki's like, I've got to go to the memorial of an old friend. Um, so we cut to, I think it's the guy from episode one. Yes, it's Kubota. He's like, Kubota. The, yeah, I forgot what uh, his position was. He's like, uh, something to do with the military, like the fence minister or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's standing um, by a grave in the rain with an umbrella. Um, Aramaki walks up to him and he's like, "You're late. You've missed everybody. You know, uh, they all want to talk to you." But and Aramaki's like, "Oops, <laughs> sorry, sorry, about that. married to the job." He uh, places some flowers on the grave of a guy whose name I'm not going to get correct. So. Uh, Sujisaki. Sujisaki. I'm going to be very bad at this because it's going to come up a lot. Yes, apparently he died of cyberbrain sclerosis. That's um, another thing that comes up a lot in some of the later episodes. It's yeah. a debilitating, debilitating disease that some people get. Got yeah, it. Yes, so apparently it was like not very treatable when he got it. Uh, but yeah. More treatable now, but and they start talking about uh, Colonel Tanada, who apparently favored. Uh, this guy, and so Kobota's like, oh, you know, I, I feel so bad about that incident with the colonel, and Aramaki's like, I was simply doing what I was trained to do, and that... Uh, this is not foreshadowing. Yeah, again, this is more backstory. So basically, Aramaki, uh, Kubota, and Sujisaki were like three students of Colonel Tanada, and th- there's some mysterious thing that went on with Tanada, and yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> And uh, obviously, Aramaki maybe had to do something that uh, not really happy about. So then he leaves, and Aramaki stands uh, just by the grave a little bit, looking at it. Uh, when a young woman shows up, and that turns out to be uh, his daughter, and she's like, "Um, you're, my dad would have been happy you came. Thank you for coming. Talk a little bit about like her mom, and um, I guess the memorial service for her, for the wife, the mother." And the chief was at that and was like, oh, you were just knee-high to our grasshopper at the time. <laughs> uh, and mentions that, oh, you have a younger brother, you. And she's like, well, speaking of my younger brother. Hey, can you help me with something? He's uh, He started behaving strangely. He started to 
resemble our father. And Aramaki's like, This conversation oh, is amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He looks like a fine, upstanding young man. You've raised him well. And she's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't mean Not actually he's... raising him that well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean he's like his dad. I mean, like, he's like his dad. <laughs> Uh, he's, he, he's become his dad. Not like he is like his dad at his age. Like he is like dad when dad died. And, and <laughs> like, Aramaki is also like kind of dumb to this. So she's like, yeah, his voice and mannerisms, his manner of speech is like mimicking dad. He's accessing websites and information he was not at all interested in before. Um, and, like, he's now reading their dad's old books, and he's never sleeping. Like, she never sees him sleep. And Aramaki then goes, oh, yeah, we never knew when, uh, when he was, his dad was sleeping either. And she doesn't stop. Badonk. And then she's like, well, whenever, when I went to see my, my brother late at night, he was like, oh, girl, go, go to bed, go to bed, treating her like a, a young girl, like his daughter. Um. Yeah, like, referred to her as, like. I can't even remember what it was. Just like a very like a, a parent. I assume very it was clearly like, a parent talking to a child. Yeah, he called yeah, me Naomi was, Chan or something go, like go that. Go to bed, honey. Yeah. Yeah, like he was like daughter, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was also, kind of funny here because Aramaki is like kind of trying to get his way out of it. He's like, oh yes. yeah, you know, he resembles the son. It's like, no, no, he's actually like him. And as he called me his daughter, he's like, well, maybe he's just trying to be funny or something. Like he doesn't want to be here. Yeah, he keeps <laughs> trying to deflect, but she keeps she going. Keeps going. And she's even like, oh, and strange packages are showing up. And it's like, oh, God, this girl is just not stopping. And he's placed an I, order I, for I, fertilizer on our Amazon account. <laughs> I love it because, like, she's, like, to the point where she's just speaking to the audience to make sure that the Greek chorus understands <laughs> that, yeah, it's absolutely this kid. Yeah. <laughs> he's turning into his dad Shady who has hell. some kind of issue. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, please help me. And Aramaki goes, I will not use my authority for personal matters. And I'm sure this will not end up being a professional matter in any no. way. <laughs> He's like, I'll only listen. Uh, but even then, I doubt I can be of help. Um, and she's like, she tries to guilt him, being like, you were friends with my dad. And Aramaki's like, no, we were, we were just old war buddies. We weren't friends. Which is how I knew that you had a son and a daughter. And, and then he walks off, and then he's down at his, getting in his car, and he walks past the son who's on the phone, and he's, he's acting a bit weird. So he's also, like, got this terminal thing here, which will basically come up later it's in the strange. episode. It looks like he's talking on, like, a cellular phone or, like, a mobile phone or something, but then he just drops it in, like, the cradle for it and carries that around. Yeah, he's carrying, like, the landline wireless phone cradle with him, and that's his terminal, basically. And, and he just chugs off. Um, so then we're back with section nine. Uh, the VFM has arrived. He's going to visit a war memorial that has never been visited by a Chinese politician before because they needed special permission from the Japanese government. Yeah, they start explaining a bit about Okinawa and how there were Chinese people who died there as well. And like a yeah. news thing, but we don't really get too much about this. I really like the way it introduces it. Yeah, the main thing is that there, for whatever reason, there are Chinese people on Okinawa that were stranded there after the war. So And also died. Mm. Also died there too, yes. <laughs> and uh, police are stepping up security and Togusa gives Bato like, like shit because he's just getting on camera. 
Yeah, it's like in the, in the van they're watching, watching the news TV, report yeah. and Bato just gets on the camera and starts mugging for it. <laughs> it's not that he gets on the camera, he walks in front of a live camera and turns yeah. and grins at it. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, she just did that to get, get on camera, what a shithead. And so the Major Tokusa and Ishikawa are talking about uh, getting a lead on the suspect for the death threats and they're like, well... If you're going to assassinate this guy at the memorial, sniping would be the way to do it. So we've been looking into people, you know, suspicious people buying sniper rifles. And they've picked up some guy who's been, like, picking up and getting various bits of a sniper rifle across town. They, they don't show us the image of this guy for a reason. They, they hand <laughs> the Major a Polaroid and she's like, yes, this, this guy... guy. But it's still hid from the audience. And they've got a name match, but it'll take a couple of hours. But then Aramaki walks in and he's like, hey, what info you got? And they're like, well, we've got this suspect. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it's the son. Oh? Who would have known? Who would have figured that out? Uh, so we cut to the house that the, the daughter and the son are staying in. And the daughter's going off to bed as we see the son making himself some bullets. In his bedroom. And he's talking to someone slash himself. And he says things like, it, it has to be me that does it. He's mom's, I mean, Ritsuko's murderer. Isn't that right, you? Which is the son's name. Yes. And like I should have mentioned this earlier. <laughs> yeah. And she like hears the, isn't that right, you? And goes like, whoa, that's weird. Uh, did as, as an aside, did she notice that he got a whole uh, you know cartridge reloading press in his room? Like, how do you get that Amazon delivered? Because again, he's apart. getting packages. packages. <laughs> like the bullet, like the cartridge filler. He, he like hides it from her, so she just assumed it was like sex stuff and didn't cry. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> boys his age are really into guns, I guess. Mm-hmm, uh, so we then get a shot of her in bed in her bedroom. She's not sleeping. Uh, wide, eyes wide open, clearly, like, freaked out about all of this. Um, she startles up when her curtain moves a little bit, and then Major like, grabs her around the face. is like, shh, shh, shh. Um, Togusa is in Yu's room, but he's already gone. Uh, and so he, like, calls the phone. is like, nope, he's, he's, already, he's already left. He's bailed. Uh, Major then lets her go and explains that she works for Aramaki and they're trying to arrest you, but he's clearly fled. Uh, there's this moment where, like, Togusa comes in and the Major's like, hey, you know, we got a knock. This is a lady's bedroom. A lady's bedroom that she snuck into and, like, super spied <laughs> to take her hostage. But she's a lady, too, so it's, it's okay. It's fine, yes. More female it's... police guards. I get it. And so Togusa's <laughs> just like, sorry. <laughs> My bad. My bad. <laughs> and was like, I found bullets on this guy's desk. Um, so of course the daughter is like confused, like what's happening. So they explain to her that the uh, the VFM has been getting death threats and that he was a suspect. Uh, we don't know his motives, but you know he's been hacking into his dad's old military database, and you know that's weird. Mm. It started the day after his birthday and continued up until yesterday. So, like, can we see the portable terminal he's been using? And Dora explains that on his birthday, his dad's terminal, portable terminal, showed up out of nowhere and he's been using it since because he wanted it ever since he was a young kid. Yeah, right before dad died, he got his Palm Pilot, put it in the mail for 10 years until his son was of age to use it and then sent it to him on his birthday. Yep. It's a bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, he said when the boy was a man, he'd get his portable terminals. My so, you know. pilot, which is so out of date now. Yeah. It's like giving yourself like a fucking like Pentium 2 notebook now. It's like, what, what am I going to use this for? <laughs> and so like, well, the password must have been in that terminal to the, the database he was like hacking into. Um, but it'll take them a while to like crack the terminal themselves. Uh, the daughter then wonders where her brother is, and the major's like, well, he's probably off to kill a bitch. <laughs> and then <laughs> she just says it straight up, like, yeah, he's probably off to assassinate the vice, <laughs> the vice foreign minister. And Dora's like, oh, shit. Could you not let him do that, actually? Please. <laughs> Please don't let him be a murderer. And then we get shot of him, like, hitchhiking on a truck, uh, presumably on his way to go kill, kill a... Vice Minister Jin. Yeah. He also has like a big duffel bag with him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we could do Ishikawa talking about um, a little bit of backstory about how Aramaki, uh, Sujisaki, and Kubota uh, were, I can't remember exactly, but they were a big trio. Back and in law school. And Sujisaki was popular and valued for his training of recruits and things like explosive and CQC and infiltration. And sniping. And sniping. And he trained yeah, their they best give it, and this brightest. This is your life here <laughs> about this guy. And it's just yeah. like, this guy was the bestest, most amazing guy ever and also really good at, like, he, for He's the boss. Yeah, yeah, he's the boss. He would be extremely good for this exact kind of mission and borderline unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Um, so they talk about, you know, just hypothetically speaking, but if we consider Yu's actions, what Dad must left behind must have been his combat knowledge. Uh, and because Yu used a terminal with a password he couldn't have known, like, by himself, you, you know, Yu must be sharing his head with a skilled assassin. Basically saying that Yu is sharing his head with his dad, because his dad knew the password, uh, on the terminal, which, uh... Uh-oh. Yu wouldn't have, so, uh, yeah, uh-oh... <laughs> Um, so we have a side where Amaraki is like, hey, Bato, don't hesitate to, like, if you need to, you can kill the kid. Don't, like, let him off just because he's the son of a war buddy of mine. And Bato's like, yeah, no shit. I'm, Wasn't I'm down gonna. for murking kids. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily murder a child. Uh, and your main character is like, well, we'll try not to kill him if it's not necessary. And Amaraki's like, thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, Aramaki then gets a call from uh, you slash uh, Sujizaki. Let's call him Hideo. Hideo. <laughs> he says that he just wanted the truth to get out, so he uh, overwrote his memories onto his cyber brain, but he didn't expect it would turn himself into an assassin. So, so this scene is, like, really weird the first time you watch it. It's very strange because he uses, like... He, he says himself to mean both him and his dad. But he uses yes. I for all of it. Yes, he uses I for all of it, and he's talking about both of them together. Yeah, so. he kind of switches between which personality he is, like, in the middle of, like, yeah. sentences yeah. and shit. Yeah, so, so what it he's is... saying is, like, the son overwrote his dad's memories onto the son's cyber brain. And the son didn't really expect that would turn him into, you know, a machine of death. An Oops. ultimate cyber assassin. My dad. <laughs> and... And unfortunately, like, having the untrained son being the larger component versus the father's, like, unbelievable ability, uh, he can't control himself, apparently, yeah, as part of it, too. Yeah, he has the knowledge like, of the like, father, but, like, the ambition and willpower the emotional of the son. And, yeah. The yeah, and, like, the emotional stability. Of the son. Yeah. Yes, and it is, like, so, he's like, talking in a much deeper voice here, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he pretty explicitly says, he's like, 
yeah, uh, I don't know why, but uh, I can't stop myself. Like, as he's, like, putting a gun together. <laughs> just like, yeah, you know how it is. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he talks about how the terminal had the truth of what happened and Okinawa and mom's death and now we have to get revenge yeah, originally i just wanted to get out later. the truth of the news but then i realized what happened to my mom and now i got the bloodlust my bad you know i i'm now both father and son blended together we didn't originally intend to assassinate the guy but now i can't stop myself talks a bit about how they're not really two people or one person they're sort of a weird amalgam and maybe when it's over they'll change into someone else entirely uh, Iron Maggie's like, stop, don't, you don't want to kill the guy, <laughs> don't, don't kill don't the guy. assassinate him. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> he's like, nope, no one can stop me now, and maybe it's my hot-blooded youth. <laughs> he says, maybe it's my youth that means I can't control myself. <laughs> Forgive me, Aramaki. And, uh, hangs up. So, Oops. now, uh, we're at the memorial event, and Section 9 are reinforcing security, and Bato's just choking that the, the entire event is just painting a target on this guy's back. It's, yeah, like, like, in the open, there's, like... A ton of other people around, because the minister said that other people should be allowed to come mourn with him. Yeah, this. they have, like, all the Chinese civilians there doing their thing. There's, like, a whole, like, presentation ceremony going on with people laying reefs and everything. It's a huge there production. Are school kids there. With yeah. They brought out the school kids. That's when you know it's serious time. <laughs> <clears throat> and so um, they're all on the lookout for a sniper. Um, and Saito is currently at the, like, best place for a sniper. And, of course, he's he's the only wear in there. And he talks about how anywhere else there would be, like, things in your line of sight. And there's nothing there. And uh, Bowman's in a helicopter and he scares the absolute shit out of this young fisherman. <laughs> this yeah, fisherman's this military- alone on a dock. <laughs> This military helicopter just like slides in the scene and Boma opens the side door and points a gun at it. And this is like fucking 16 year old kid just fishing. They're freaking his fucking mind. <laughs> and Boma's like, fishing on a day like this? Oh well. Oh well. Uh, there's nothing here. Um, so yeah, we see that there's we see like the school killed children bringing in the flowers, the memorial. Everyone's being like waved in by security. Uh, Togusa then finds a rifle and a, a young boy knocked out in the bathroom, his uniform stolen. Um, so yeah, we see that the son is now dressed in uniform and Basso sees him rushing towards uh, the VFN, but like he's not going to get there in time. He pulls a knife, goes right up to him, and then, like, you hear like the collide noise. Uh, but it's fine. Turns out the Major was in her optical camo and she stopped him and incapacitated him with one of those like cyber cuffs on the back of the neck and he's now on the ground. Hooray! I feel like this is like a direct reference. Wasn't there like a, a Japanese person, like a, a politician assassined on live TV, like with a knife, with a guy just rushing on stage? Yes, that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's almost certainly a direct reference to whatever that was. I don't know the official... Yes, it was the murder of a uh, Japanese politician by, oh god, what is the name of the cult? Whatever. Yeah, Mm. so the manager talks about, like, finding in, uh, finding in his files that the surest method of assassination is getting close with no thought to escape. Makes Um, sense. We then, you know, we're looking at the sun on the ground, and then turns over and smiles and reaches for the bouquet of flowers. Uh, as everyone freaks out because it triggers a hidden bomb and a large explosion that, that seems to kill the major Bato and the uh, vice foreign minister. 
Yeah, this um, cut is really good because, like, you think, oh, you know, it's great. They stopped the kid right he before saved the he just smiles and then blows himself and everybody at that place up. Yes. It uh, slowly fades to white. And as you start off, you get some shots. Uh, you don't really know what they are at first, but shots of a, a hospital room. And then we see uh, the son lying in a hospital bed with needles in his head. And on the TV is a news report saying that the vice foreign minister is finishing his tour and leaving to go back to China. Everyone is miraculously unexploded. Hooray. That's that's good. (laughs) And so the major's there with the daughter and the chief. And she's saying it was a risky thing to do, but they couldn't find a better solution than to edit his memories with a successful assassination. So I guess once he was immobilized, they brought him to the hospital and then changed his memories so like he thought he managed to like set off the explosion. But in reality, he was incapacitated when they like put that thing on him and that was it. My question is, say that is successful and he does recuperate, how are they gonna like reintroduce him to society? Because like the instant he goes on the Wikipedia and sees that this actually did not happen, there's going to be some dissonance going on. Maybe they're just like getting the ghost out. I don't know. I think they talk about how they have to overwrite extensively. So I wonder if that was just to like get the ghost out and now they're just gonna like fry him even more. I think that's like what they were saying. Like, like you might not be the same person, or even remember like who she is or who he is. They're basically we're gonna go in there with a spoon and stir it all up, <laughs> and hopefully that'll get the bad the bad brain out. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun to be on the ethics review board for these like <laughs> neurological people at the hospital. Right? How the fuck do you justify this? <laughs> right? I guess you don't. <laughs> Section nine, baby. And so daughter's like, that's fine. As long as he's alive, that's all that counts. Um, Aramaki then gives her his number and she thanks them. Uh, then we cut to Aramaki and Major out in the parking lot because they really like ending the episodes with them out in this parking lot. It's always in a parking lot. Yeah. It's um, a good epilogue place, the parking lot, you know, <laughs> moving true. towards the future. Yeah. So Major talks about how uh, the son recreated his dad's memories and they tried to coexist, but like it just ended up conflicting and creating a, a monster, essentially. And she says, well, there's always a chance that the son will recover his memories and he'll still be the same person he was before he did that to his brain, the idiot. <laughs> Um, and Aramaki says that, sure, but I'm, you know, at my age, I'm going to have to endure the loss of my friend twice. And the major teases him was like, wasn't he just a war buddy? And Aramaki's like, oh, yeah, of course. Aramaki's not having any of that shit. (laughs) He is like, because, yeah, like his friend who has been dead for seven years literally just called him earlier in this episode. And most importantly, the truth of Okinawa never got out. It is true. true. And, you know, it never will. (laughs) I'm sure it won't. Oh, God. It's funny rewatching this episode well, knowing what happens in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this is very clearly a setup episode. There's, you know, like on its own, it's kind of a like not totally incredible, but you, you can tell they're trying to plant some seeds that are going to start I'm coming wondering up. If they had yeah. these seeds of that for stuff in season two, like this early ahead, or if they just like looked back at this episode and like, oh, no, we could use this for you know, a plot hook mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. Probably a little. Column A, probably a little column B. Call that a honestly. happy little accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, really good stuff today. Uh, next time it'll be in 19, 20, 21. That is correct. That sounds right. Yeah, we're getting we're closing in on the end of season one. Yeah. Um, it's be- does season one like kind of have an ending of it its does. own and then season two? Okay, cool. Yeah, t- uh, I was going to say, I was like, damn, I need some closure on this laughing man shit. Yeah, which, by the way, that's like definitely closes the laughing for man. the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Four? Yeah. It's, it's been a while since we've had like 
And it's a complex episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think we get one or two more standalones, and then it goes straight back to, like, the rest of them are just all the Laughing Man stuff. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they definitely conclude it by 26. Yeah. I'm just, I'm guessing that a show with this kind of pacing has to end on a three-parter. I feel it's a like. a two-parter. I believe 25 and 26 are, like, the two Damn, episodes together. Damn, only a two-parter. Ooh. Ambitious. <laughs> like, the, the plot, like, goes through all of, like, the last six or so episodes, but, mm-hmm. like, 25 and 26 are, like, where it, like, super concludes okay, and everything. so in reality, it's, like, a six-parter. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it should work out pretty well because we well. watched 25 and 26 together that'll give us some time to talk about season one after that right and then mm-hmm. we can go into season two so yep yeah. that sounds good well till next time we haven't gone to space yet have we team hmm. cyberspace cyberspace anime cyberspace anime cyberspace anime yeah cyberspace anime